0: You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium Games, Star Citizen and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 46 of Beyond the Verse Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. And today's segments include, obviously, this week in Star Citizen. We'll do a couple reminders, PSA uh, announcements when it comes to the Red Festival and Coramore. We'll get into the Whitley's Guide lore post of the Anvil uh, Valkyrie. And then we will get into the Squadron 42 monthly report, the Inside Star Citizen distribution a al- lock. Cution, allocution, <laughs> that word has thrown me off because I see it as like allocation, but it's not allocation. So, um, and much, much more. We've got some patch updates to go through, um, an Evocity, uh patch note or NDA update that I think I'll probably end up starting with. So, here, here we go. Um, first off, I'm gonna relate to every parent out there. Um, real quick. <laughs> Kids are little petri dishes of, of just of, of grossness, of just nastiness. Um, you send them off to childcare, to their elementary, and they just collect all the crap, right? Um, and they keep you sick. <laughs> so, Here we are yet again on another podcast where I've got some weird tickle in my throat. I took a cough drop, I'm drinking a crap load of water. So we're going to try to get through this, Um, but it's starting to become the norm on this show. So (laughs) figuring out ways to like overcome mid-show I think is going to be a segment in and of itself at some point. Also, for those of you who have reached out uh, about the whole Jeep gate situation from the last episode, first off, thank you. I appreciate the sentiment and you caring enough to reach out. Uh, But the update there next week, it's going to go into this dealership and they are replacing the entire hardtop to include the back windshield. So I'm okay with that. What's funny is like the dealership is like a Chevrolet dealership. Um, and so I asked him for the loaner vehicle to be a Corvette. Uh, I doubt it's going to happen, but if they do expect lots of TikToks, <laughs> uh, if, if I, if, if I can, although again, I'm a proponent, um, or I'm a supporter of manual shifting. Um, and I just hate the way new vehicles now have the paddle shifters. It's just, it's not true manual. It bothers me. It absolutely bothers me, but it's still a Corvette okay let's get started in to from the community um uh, first off i want to give a sincerest thanks to dakota riley will spicer and a mr dustin themes um the three of them are monthly supporters on the podcast so they've gotten to spotify and they've um contributed their hard-earned disposable income to support this show. And I just want to say thank you Um, from the bottom of my heart. And that's not like a wash um, thanks. It's a sincere thanks because I know what that means. Uh, Disposable income is something that obviously... It keeps you and your family afloat. You get to, you know, splurge and get, you know, things to make Star Citizen better. Your gaming, your hobbies, your family, date nights, um, and yet you're choosing to support this podcast uh, and what we're trying to accomplish. So, I'm very humbled and just again want to say thank you to those three monthly supporters, to include those that are in the org, uh, the Soul Provision org, that are contributing disposable income into the. Um, Oh my gosh, what is it called? Um, (laughs) Like the supporters for Discord. Like the tier levels, I am so sorry, complete mind blank. (laughs) But uh, I wanna say thank you to them too. We were at tier three, I think we're still at tier three. Um, And that gives us like extra sound quality. So if you listen to our org night bonus episodes, we have a little bit of additional sound quality. We have graphics and animated graphics and things like that in our org because of those individuals who give their disposable income. So thank you so much. Wanna give a shout out to everyone there. Sweet to the Spotify QA and polls. So, two org nights ago, uh, org night eight, which was the exploring jump points, I asked the question, which jump point is your favorite? Um, and it wasn't a contest, right? So, the Stanton Magnus jump point, excuse me, only received 25%. Everybody else voted for the Stanton Terra jump point, and it is a gorgeous gorgeous jump point. I I am surprised that no one voted for the Stanton Pyro. I don't know. I don't know if it's because they had the chance to really get into Pyro and they've been immersed in that color combination and that kind of ambience. Um, I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that no one voted for Pyro. So that was just an interesting little tidbit there. Um, Let's get into episode 45. So last Friday morning, um, it was the Star Citizen January monthly report, and the Inside Star Citizen was the. Um, um, it was a. Uh, it was it was on a um, expanding branding, right? So sorry, I'm having a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of brain farts. Uh, it was expanding branding, and so I asked the question: Is there a development team you would like to see uh, in Inside Star Citizen to feature, and why? And so let's just go bottom up. So the first response from Dakota Riley, the economy team, because I want more details on their plans to make the economy more dynamic and reactive to players actions across not just the Stanton system, but between all of the systems. So I wholeheartedly agree. I think the economy team, I have a lot of questions for them. Like what is their vision? What is their end state? Um, not necessarily like how they get there or what to expect in upcoming patches, like whatever. I mean, that's, that's fine. I like obviously learning about the intermittent steps to accomplish something, but I want to know their end state when it's all said and done, what are we trying to get at? You know, what is the economy? How much? Impact or influence does that have like how does reputation tie into the economy? Um, how does uh, The ship fluctuation like how much a ship costs, you know, are they just gonna keep on skyrocketing unless, uh, you know rather than some sort of balance? Um, I have I just have a lot of questions for the economy team uh, the next the next response from a TJ you will 100% be attacked on a hover vehicle, LOL. You will also lose your ship marker once you are more than 15 kilometers. You're going to have a hard time finding anything uh, a thousand kilometers away. A team to fix this. So they're alluding to um, they're alluding to one of my comments <clears throat> for the referral bonus, it's the dragonfly, and so we were kind of surmising um, a strategy of taking the dragonfly kind of the rest of the way to security post Korea, right, a way to kind of uh, shrink in your signature size, um, and so it was an idea or strategy that was floated, and so they're responding with, like, you're absolutely going to be attacked regardless, I want a vehicle you're on, so good call out there, actually, I've never tried it, that was coming from an org member uh, who suggested that strategy, but hey, challenge accepted, I'm probably going to end up trying it at some point, uh, and die a glorious, glorious death, so, <laughs> I also said a thousand kilometers away. I'm pretty sure I just meant like a click. Um, a thousand kilometers is a million meters, right? Or is my math completely shot? But I'm pretty sure that's a million meters. Uh, I am not suggesting that, that you change ships out uh, a thousand kilometers away. So that was probably my misspeaking of last episode. Moving on to the third comment from Heisei. "Quote either the team working on jump points, since we'll hopefully be seeing those by the end of the year." hopefully, or the team working on ship engineering so we can see what components we'll have to maintain. Yep, I agree. Um, So jump points aesthetically are very sexy. We just had an org night where we explored them and they are beautiful. I love the advertisements, the banners, um, just all the cosmetics. I would have questions specifically around like the the orbital station or the Lagrange site, whatever you wanna call it, which is right at the kind of entrance to the jump point. I'm curious what the end state is for that, because um, right now it just seems like a derelict orbital station. You get there, not a lot's going on. Um, I'm curious if there's going to be additional functionality, maybe faster refueling, like if they're really gonna make it a truck stop uh, or something similar to a truck stop, like a Bucky's. shout out for those in Texas. Um, I also am curious about the platforms along the sides of the jump point. So with the banners, and the advertisements, marketing, all that, you you see these structures that are on the outsides, and I'm curious what the end state is for that. Is it just cosmetics, or are we expecting shops? Um, org platforms, trade platforms. Again, not exactly sure why they're there, uh, and I would love to learn kind of the why. Ship engineering, absolutely. I I think there's a lot of concern about ship engineering because it kind of takes the, I'm, I'm, I'm going to describe one type of gamer, not all gamers, but it takes the casual, let me take out my Idris, I'm going to solo my Idris, <laughs> or my Carrick, or my Odyssey, one of these large you know, ships, I'm going to take it out solo and just live out in space. Well, you kind of can not if you have to have engineering. If you have to maintain your engine and maintain all of your components, it, it removes um, that from the equation, or actually it adds that to the equation, right? Like it, it, you have to consider that. Now do you introduce NPCs and you hire like onboard staff to do it for you? Okay, maybe. Um, then the other side of that coin is those of us in organizations, we want engineering. We want that extra level of immersion. That seems like a really like a fun game loop. Not everybody wants to be the captain of an Idris. So there are people in Sol Provision that have shared that, that they just want to live on a ship. And they want to serve in in in, in firefight, you know, when there's random fires that pop up around the area. So I don't know, it's a dichotomy, right? (laughs) As as with everything in gaming and then Star Citizen, it is kind of a balance between the two. I would love to see what their in state is for that. Moving on to Nick's response. Quote, I like to see all of the teams in the spotlight. I love that the economy team had a feature and would like to see more teams get some appreciation. One that I would like to see is the ship team. Which I think I think I saw something that Todd Pappy is, um, it has nothing to do with the ship team. He's like director of Live Ops. And he's no longer with CIG. Complete, complete side note. So sorry, I saw the ship team, I'm like, that reminded me of something I saw on social media. Cannot confirm. But anyways, the ship team, yeah. The problem, the problem with the ship team is that is a lose-lose conversation. Nothing good can come out of that conversation. So they're gonna get up and say, well, we're gonna release eighty ships in twenty twenty five, and you're gonna have that one person that's like, "Where's my Bonnie Merchantman?" <laughs> right? Like, there's just no winning. Um, and in and that inside Star Citizen in um, Citizen Con of, of last year, you know, we get these these two new ships. We get the Cutter um, Scout. We get the Zeus. Right? The concept ships. And like people just shat on it the entire time we were at Citizen Con. We didn't hear a single positive note, um, at least from the crowds that we were hanging out in. So I don't know. I would love to hear from the ship team. I would love to hear kind of I don't know what to expect. But they're not going to be able to tell us really anything um, as is expected of them, right? Like they're not going to tell you when to expect the BMM. They're not going to ex- tell you when to expect the next capital ship. So I'm curious, Nick. I'm curious what is it about the ship team that you would love to hear about? And then the last comment from Dustin, quote, steel took mine, LOL, the economy team, LOL. After that, probably the lore team, Galactopedia and Astro Historian, give you a sense of the lore team's contribution. I love to hear how they develop a storyline. So, yes, if you want even a deeper dive into lore than what I provide at the end of the show, by all means, the Astro Pub or the Astro Historian had him on my show at the early parts of last year. An amazing, amazing podcaster, amazing content creator that gets into collegiate level lore deep dives. So, yes, go check him out. Or if you like to hunt down lore on your own, the Galactopedia is a phenomenal app. go do it yourself and that's personally what i do i always start with the galactopedia if i have a question about where something comes from and then i dive into all the other apps there's even lore built into the star map right outside of the game so there's a lot of places to find lore okay so beyond the q a we also had a poll which roadmap release excites you the most Right, So I put character customizer, distribution centers, master modes, dynamic crosshairs, the replication layer update, and then I just coupled up the 13 gameplay updates. So you can kind of assume which one won, right? Everybody wants the updates, like the the gameplay updates. So the 13 gameplay updates received 33.3, so a third of all the votes. So that's pretty much it, but the number one, the number one release view that excited you the most and is the topic of today's uh, podcast, distribution centers. 40% voted for distribution centers, a third for the 13 gameplay updates, and then 20% for the replication layer update, and then 6.7% on master modes. No one cares about the character customizer, evidently. <laughs> and no one cares about the, the uh, crosshairs. And I don't know, the, 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 the dynamic crosshairs are going to be a little difficult to get used to. Not every game does it, right? Not every game does it, but as you're running and you have your rifle in the low ready, right? Your dynamic crosshair is kind of floating off on the ground to your left. It's like where it would shoot if you just right then and there pulled the trigger. That's gonna take a lot to get used to when most games have a static crosshair that's right in the center of the screen. So I'm very curious where that goes or maybe can you toggle it? Does it become the norm um, or the standard or can you toggle it on and off? I guess I kind of see the value of it because you know, most of the time in a combat situation, you're pulling the trigger before you're looking down the scope right? So if you're coming in contact with the enemy, this is real life. If you're coming in contact, contact with the enemy, you're getting rifle, you know, towards the target or the barrel towards the target. And you're already pulling the trigger as you're getting your eye on the sights. So it'd be nice to kind of know if you were doing that in this game, where the rounds would go, right? As you're, you know, we call it buttoning up. I don't know if that's appropriate to say on a, (laughs) on a podcast, but as you button up, you know, Where's that crosshair going? It's kind of nice to not have it static. I probably crossed the line with some of you listeners. (laughs) But I do have the military background, and sometimes it does slip out. So there you go. From around the community, again, you can get involved by asking questions via email. That's contact at beyondtheversehq.com, responding to our Q&A and polls on Spotify. If you're part of the Soul provision organization, there is a Beyond the Verse category, that it's the channel called Seat at the Table. You can also ask questions there at the seat of the table and we'll have that dialogue here on the show. Okay, let's get into this week in Star Citizen. Sharing my screen for those of you on YouTube and I'm gonna do some uh, maintenance on this nastiness. One second. okay we're gonna try to get through this <laughs> this week in star citizen let's go happy Monday everyone red festival is well underway with tidbits glory to ring in the coming of the year of the dog in 2954 greet the new year decked out in new auspicious ship libraries or a limited time red festival challenge coin which is actually what we did last night in org night 09 which is live for you to listen to bonus episode by dominating in the special new mode in arena commander or engage in the time old tradition of finding and turning in red envelopes for fun and profit plus visitors of Stanton during the red festival receive a commemorative 2954 year of the dog envelope to display in their hangars for years to come take advantage of the currently ongoing free fly event and invite your friends to join you in celebrating the end of the loony solar year our Red Festival referral bonus runs through February 26th, that's 10 days from today, and you and the friends you recruit can usher in the new year with a Drake Dragonfly, along with a special edition Red Festival armor and weapon package. Love is also in the air, and we hope your core more weekend was spent with your co-pilot of choice, or favorite partner in crime, painting the verse in pink and black. If you look, if you took off for a rendezvous or two in game, don't forget to send your best screenshots to the 2954 first date in the verse screenshot contest by the 19th for a chance to win some lovely prizes. The 19th is 3 days from today, so if you're going to participate, prioritize that. Head over to the Cormore 2954 landing page for details on the contest and more. Lastly, if you're in Paris, France, or Brussels, Belgium, or Boise, Idaho, or Boise, Idaho, in the United States this weekend, you can look forward to hanging out with other enthusiasts and talking about all things Star Citizen over your favorite ice cold beverage at Bar Citizen events, which is an opportunity for you to send links, uh, leaks out to Twitter and social media. I swear, like every leak that I see on X, Instagram, Blue Sky, it all comes from Bar Citizens. <laughs> interesting dynamic back to the article visit BarCitizen.SC for details on upcoming events near you i simply just don't listen to anybody who goes to a bar citizen and shares intel that they obtained you know you get a bunch of people together you have beverages you might have overheard something but i have never heard of anything leaked out of a bar citizen that turned out to be accurate so be weary when you read the clickbait from a bar citizen. All right. This week, here we go. Again, Monday was this week in star citizen. Tuesday was the lore post. We're actually getting to that next of Whitley's guide, the anvil Valkyrie the Wednesday. We had the squadron 42 monthly report in the spectrum. Com link that was emailed to us last week. But again, I'm trying to break up the monthly reports. So it's not both in one podcast Thursday, Yep, Thursday, yesterday, we had Insight Star Citizen, the uh, branding all, allocution. good lord. I'm probably gonna have to look up like how to pronounce that. I think it's allocution. And then a Friday, so today, after this podcast, there's a Star Citizen Live, and it's uh, a QA and a for the EVA team and the PIEPIS team. So just more information about that Insight Star Citizen that was a couple of weeks ago. Along with an RSI weekly newsletter. And I'm doing this. I'm doing this live. So, Google, I am looking up allocution. Excuse me. So, yeah, I don't know what this means. Allocution is the direct address between the judge and the convicted defendant prior to sentencing. Hmm. So it's a legal comment. An allocution or an allocutus. You know what's funny is Groza in our organization probably knows exactly what this is given their background. Just saying. Here we go. Allocution, y'all ready? How do you, how do you? Allocution. Allocution, there you go. Hear it? Allocution. Boom. I'm proud of myself <laughs> just at a moment live, uh, live on podcast. Yeah. So allocution. Wow. That just happened. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I made a promise to you a couple episodes ago that I'm going to stop. Like, um, you know, I don't really know this. Let me get back to you. It's a very Amazon thing to do. <laughs> I'm just going to find things out real time, uh, and let y'all see my work process. Whitley's Guide Valkyrie here we go and I'm gonna try my best to get through this without dying um, because we also have the squadron 42-month report as well this is gonna get crazy all right the anvil Valkyrie 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 still don't know nope I literally just said I wouldn't do this so here we go Google enter pronunciation Valkyrie Valkyrie boom done the anvil valkyrie development history in early spring 2802 a delegation of engineers theoreticians good lord theory crafters whatever and computer scientists working for anvil aerospace booked three weeks of supercomputer array time at the levendosk institute on terra by this point anvil had long secured its position as the go-to aerospace corporation for both military contracted weaponry and private combat spacecraft equipped with a large war chest owed to the success of the civilian f-7c hornet launch anvil was ready and willing to invest in more speculative products rather than adapting further government contracts for domestic use but before that could happen. The company's long-term planners were eager to answer a difficult question. What's next? The team dispatched to Lebendosk had an intriguing proposal for how to answer this question. They would conduct a large-scale wargaming simulation that would hopefully allow them to predict the UEE's future vehicular needs rather than wait for the future contracts to be offered. Computer wargaming is by no means a radical invention humans have been using advanced computers to attempt to predict future trends for the entire millennia, and as such devices have existed with varying degrees of success across generations. Indeed, the UEE military con- uh, conducts electronic war gaming continually, using even more powerful technology than those available to civilian researchers. However, it is exceedingly rare that such analysis are ever declassified, and when they are, they tend to concern past events of very little value to the civilian aerospace sector. Additionally, the rarely available UEE Wargaming results are largely concerned with worst-case scenarios and are offered to the public as propaganda. Anvil's executives were interested in a different approach, developing only those scenarios in which day-to-day business continues. The Anvil team that arrived at Levandosk had been preparing for the moment for seven years, more time than it would ultimately take the engineering team to develop the resulting ship. The process involved massive data gathering and organization on a scale not previously attempted but in the private sector. Decades of data that could help the supercomputers imagine the current state of the UEE had been collected and organized, ranging from simple census statistics to observed fleet movements and spectrum usage metrics. The engineering team worked tirelessly to create a statistical portrait of the UEE in 2802 to allow the supercomputers to process viable outcomes. The immediate result which would take some 38 months to properly examine was thousands of different possible scenarios that might impact the need for armed spacecraft in 5 10 20 and 30 years next the results were moved to an undisclosed location aboard a fleet of data runners protected by corporate owned hornet escort fighters the data in hand a second team of expert analysts settled in for the long haul of connecting these possibilities to future market trends. As Anvil's analysts processed the results, they were quick to move past the obvious findings that the Van Duel conflict and future wars would require faster, more maneuverable, and more powerful frontline spacecraft. Instead, they focus on roles for support craft. What might be next? What might be the next crucible? Although most of the group's findings remain proprietary, interviews have since made it a matter of public record that their first realization was that every future scenario involving a Vandal defeat would require a significant advancement in landing craft. For example, should the Empire move to retake systems like Orion and Virgil, an anvil-designed troop ship solution could easily lead the way so both the technology behind the ships and the ability to mass-produce them for future large-scale amphibious, uh, amphibious operation were certainly worth investigating. Early Development Prior to the introduction of the Valkyrie, human amphibious amphibious assault craft were divided into two types smaller more expensive dropships intended to deploy individual squads for specialized operations and larger more expendable spacecraft designed to deploy entire companies or mechanized artillery units the valkyries design team aimed to split the difference down the middle by creating a mass-produced spacecraft capable of transporting both a platoon of soldiers and an armored support vehicle Anvil's supercomputer predictions suggested that the future war planners would need to rethink the traditional amphibious assault process for future attacks on Vandal-held worlds. While smaller strike units backed with the threat of orbital bombardment have typically been effective in recent centuries of warfare fought against humans, mass attacks with additional firepower would be needed for the theoretical taking of a Vandal planet. To address this challenge, the team attempted to make up the difference between the Aegis Dynamics Redeemer, used to insert special operations teams, and the larger freighters, landing craft, used for logistical support. The new armored landing craft officially designated a heavy dropship, would carry both the sophisticated defenses of a Redeemer-style vehicle while still maintaining some of the size and development capabilities of a Starlifter, An array of 20 sophisticated G-couches would keep individual soldiers harnessed during the ride to the surface. Landing injuries being another problem with more disposable landing craft. And VTOL thrusters would allow the ship to land and quickly deploy troops and equipment on rough terrain no larger than the ship's own base. Plus area to deploy a vehicle if needed. The spacecraft's name, Valkyrie, was chosen early on as a tribute to a UEEN pilot who flew under the same call sign who had recently been killed on a reconnaissance mission that identified a Vandal destroyer, though Anvil's marketing team would eventually promote it as referring to the ship's ability to carry soldiers screaming into battle like the Valkyries of myth. The design process quickly resulted in a prototype, and then a production prototype, all before the idea was ever presented to the military. Anvil opted to keep the test program completely secret, leading to a series of leaked photographs that aerospace watchers incorrectly theorized might be the proof that the company was developing another deep space fighter in the style of the Vanguard. It is, possible to know, <clears throat> it is impossible to know whether similar UEE analysis generated an identical future prediction or if ANVIL happened upon an incredibly lucky coincidence, but in 2810, a joint request of the UEE Army and Navy requested a heavy dropship capable of deploying larger combat teams quickly. ANVIL was able to present the Valkyrie with its testing complete already flying and ready for production. A modified no-bid contract quickly followed and Anvil's factories began turning out the first military model for active service in 2812. Civilian Development. Although the Valkyrie has not yet been used for mass invasion, the design has already repeatedly proven itself in combat in frontier regions. After Action reports specifically praise the ability to immediately deploy an armored vehicle, itself a great improvement over smaller gunships. The ship has become a favorite of UEEN ground pilots, and it's considered the best way to travel by soldiers deploying into hostile situations. Military orders from the design have increased each quarter, and if the long term computer analysis is any indication, anvil expects almost double production of the valkyrie each year for the foreseeable future to this end the company has made investments on no fewer than five worlds to add additional factory capacity for producing valkyries in greater numbers if a future mass planetary assault occurs it will be even more of a windfall for anvil stock stockholders in 2948 one second In 2948, Anvil expanded the Valkyrie line with the not-unexpected addition of a civilian variant. Since the Valkyrie was not developed using government funds, the company was free to adapt it for the civilian market more quickly than previous designs like the Hornet. The civilian conversion team found the design process especially quick, with only limited fittings intended for specific UEEA equipment needing to be removed due to classification. The civilian Valkyrie is otherwise indistinguishable from the military equivalent, and is even produced on the same factory floor. Civilian Valkyries are now operated by local militia and police units on frontier worlds, where deploying heavier weapons across great distances is especially important. The design has also found unexpected favor with prospectors and other explorers who have found great use of the ship's ability to maintain a deployed ground vehicle on rough terrain with a small footprint. Individual explorers can set down on, Valkyrie, on a Valkyrie at one claim site, dispatch a buggy or small crew of workers, and then jump ahead to another location. The process has greatly sped up mining surveys on some worlds, by allowing a single work team to cover three to five sites at once. Anvil's forecasters are keen to see if further uses develop in the asteroid mining or the science support disciplines. So there you have it. One of my favorite dropships. I I still go back to the Cutlass Red. I know it's not considered a dropship, but it's right now to me it's one of the best solutions. A lot of places to sit, two medical beds. Um, I think it's a pretty awesome dropship, personally. But the Valkyrie, for the actual classification of a dropship, hands down the best dropship, especially when fully staffed. So getting all the turrets manned, um, and then seeing players in every single one of those seats, it's actually a very awesome thing to see. It's a very awesome thing to see. Um, and it does show the future of quick combat operations inside of the PU. So I'm really excited about Jump Town um, getting into some of these underground facilities raids. I can see the the Valkyrie being especially um, viable in those situations. It is now; it's a viable ship now. Um, it's just it's a lot of ship for not a lot of use cases in this current moment but I love the lore behind it. I love how they kind of left off that you can use it for other things in combat. It's like the mining reference. I love using ships for outside of their purpose, like the Cutlass Red for a dropship. It's fun to mix in and get creative with how we use the 120, 140 ships, you know, that we have active in the game at this current moment. So hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to change things up a little bit. I was going to go straight into the Squadron 42 monthly report. I'm actually going to take a little bit of a break and let's get into the Avocati NDA update. Again, I think this is super important. Um, Share my screen for those of you on YouTube. So I got a little bit of a hand slap when I posted this or I shared this yesterday. So yesterday um, I read this, I made a a tweet about it and I sent it out and I put uh, CIG removes Avocati's NDA and that's like a half truth but I did put the quote from Tyler Witkin that clarifies so it was a full truth if you read the entire tweet but if you just read the headline I could see where it is misleading I made a correction post or clarification post right after that, so I think I did right by social media there. Let me do the same due diligence here on podcast. So long story short, um, the Evocati, um, and I know some people say um, Evocati, Evocati, Evo, Evo, yeah, I think it's Evocati. It's Evocati, and I can do the whole Google thing and prove it uh, if you would like me to. But the Evocati patch notes, this is like the pre, 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 pre test universe. <laughs> um, where they, they literally test everything. Um, new ideas, crazy ideas that they've never you know publicly shared. But everything about the Evocati uh, test re- universe, was under NDA. So you couldn't talk about patch notes. You couldn't mention anything at all, but this changes it. So a couple of days ago from Tyler Whitkin, um, the head of community quote, we will begin to release the Evocati patch notes publicly, allowing everyone to read and discuss their content. We believe this shift will contribute to a more inclusive community that embraces the fun and theory crafting and provides a transparent glimpse into what's on the horizon. But here is the rub. The NDA otherwise remains fully in effect when it comes to visuals, access, or other content. So just like I do for the podcast and all my socials, I go to these patch notes. I basically take a screenshot and I say, hey, here's the latest and greatest in the EPTU, right? You're not allowed to do it. You, you now are allowed to do that for the Evocati patch notes. But when it gets to images, screenshots, broadcasting, that stuff you cannot do. You can talk about patch notes, but it stops there. So I think I made myself clear. <laughs> I just, again, wanted to do my due diligence. Uh, that's important for maybe a few of you listeners. Not everybody is uh, invited to be part of the Evocati patch notes. Um, and just just to say that I did. Here we go. Evocati. Where is the pronounce? <coughs> Excuse me. And, oh good lord, where did it go? Here, Avocati.
1: Oh
0: no. It's not uh, coming up as a Google pronunciation. How about if I do this? If I do this. I will have to do this at a later date when I can find it. Usually you're able to go to like Google. Google put in a word, and in fact I, I showed you the first two times. Um, and you're able to choose like the pronunciation. Anyways, I already killed too much time on this. I promise you it's Evacati. All right. <laughs> um, here we go. I will go into the Squadron 42 monthly report. And then we will end with the inside star citizen reaction, which there's a lot to react to. The distribution centers is the future of Soul provision, our in-game organization. And there's so much to get excited about, but due diligence. Let's go over Squadron 42's monthly report. And I speed read most of this, Uh, but it's shorter than the star citizens monthly report. So here we go. Sharing my screen for those of you on the tubes. Here we go, AI content. Throughout January, AI content progressed with the Shubin station content for chapter five, with a focus on the main hangar, security, tram stations, Alpha and Bravo, social hub, and main bridge. This includes working on the utility, deck, bridge, and engineering crews and security, tram passengers, hub patrons, and vendors. AI content also continued to focus on improving a variety of personal locations and lockers specifically npcs approaching lockers changing out of their base outfits entering cubicles to shower and then returning to their lockers to get dressed again that sounds sexy (laughs) you talk about making a ship feel alive that's how you do it it's going to be all the other people doing normal things that's going to be crazy like in the pu you fly these carrots. You know, these massive ships, but it's lonely unless you have, like, your org of 20 people on it. Uh, you know, if two or three of you are on it, it's it's not how Carrick should look and feel. You throw AI content into it, it's going to feel a lot more alive. That's exciting. AI features team. Last month, AI features continued to polish this, the technology used to fire arced uh, rocket pods. This system solves equations that have multiple variables, angle of throw and speed, and a range of solutions that need to be evaluated. On top of the arcing solution, collision checks must be performed, which repurposes existing technology created for grenades and other arced fire weapons. Finer polish of behaviors and levels is currently underway to ensure the details of animations and systemic behaviors form a cohesive whole. AI tech team. AI tech picked up where they left off last year, cleaning up the ability for multiple NPCs to use ladders simultaneously when moving in the same direction. The transit system received upgrades to make the use transit logic smoother and more robust when handling falls, uh, fails, retries, and fallbacks. For NPCs using elevators, the flow was improved to create a more efficient sequence. For example, characters won't go back and forward anymore and, with, and will... Instead, board the elevator directly, eliminating unnecessary waiting or interim positions. AI tech are currently refining a new loading procedure for subsumption data. This will allow stricter requirements on the data so they can immediately identify issues. This functionality will be enabled as an additional step when submitting for validation. For Spaceships, the team focused on numerous bug fixes and improvements specifically for combat scenarios and AI traits, the latter of which helps to influence AI logic. For example, by allowing NPCs to prefer certain behaviors over others. This allows the designers to balance gameplay based upon the enemy faction players are fighting. Existing traits include Strafer Override, which forces the pilot to always choose the Strafer tactic. It says Strafer. I don't know if they mean... Safer. I don't know what Strafer tactic means, and Speed Freak, which always chooses to boost and has slightly higher speeds. No, that's okay. Yeah, that's for controlling spaceships. It's it's Strafer tactic. All right. Animation. Last month, the animation team further refined the feel of the AI in a number of chapters to better tell the story. They also worked on malfunctions prone EVA and several boss fights, and further refined combat animations for different enemy types. They're currently implementing several new story beats to better align how levels feel. This is supported by the Mocap team, motion capture team, via focused shoots that quickly add improvements into the game. On the facial front, the team is hard at work implementing additional lines for Old Man to add more value to the player's relationship with him. Art Environment Team. January saw the Environment Arts Strike teams progress with chapter ones, or Chapters 1, 4, and 5. Quote, We've pushed a lot of the core development teams into delivering these chapters alongside the design teams. It's been rewarding to see the progress we've been making together on these locations. End quote. Locations-wise, passes were made on the interior hangar, security social, and bridge sections of Arken Station, while the white box metric art for store interiors was converted to final. The Javelin received a complete pass this month, including intact and damaged interiors, a full lighting pass, and dynamic dressing that reacts to the damaged version of the ship. Environment Art also continued to update the Javelin's exterior to a new, higher standard for capital ship exteriors. Once completed, they'll move on to the damaged version. Locations in Chapter 4 were also worked up to high standard, including the interior of some asteroid truck stops in an abandoned ship. Finally, for environment art, the Odin system was updated with a new sun nebula that could be seen during downtime. The Javelin received a pass this month, a complete pass this month. That, uh... No, I am not thinking that the javelin is anywhere close to coming out. <laughs> no. Uh, we will see the Idris before we see the javelin, in my opinion. Uh, but it's it's fun seeing that that massive ship that you're going to end up spending most of your time in, um, in Squadron 42, is getting that complete pass. That is, that's awesome. Clear my throat, get some water, and we'll get into core gameplay. I debated whether or not to have a cough drop while on podcast, but that would just be way too much added noise. All right, core gameplay. Polish on the star map's features continued in January, including new box outs to give information about the selected location and what services it provides. It also gives the option to set quantum routing, drawing the route between the current location and destination, similar to the current star map. The character customizer gained further improvements, allowing the player to save and load in their character, which also enables the backing up and sharing of a customized character appearances. The randomization function was also worked on to give aesthetically pleasing results. Core Gameplay worked alongside the backend team to help with data serialization and compress the data size as much as possible to make sending character data to other clients as efficient as possible. Gameplay story, which is why I play the game. The gameplay story team began the year improving scenes across different chapters. For example, several scenes were updated with new motion capture at the start or end or both to pose match to systemic animations. This ensures they dovetail well with the rest of the game and makes them more robust. Quote, one tricky scene in chapter 14 was completely overhauled with new mo- motion capture and is now considered by design to be bulletproof. End quote. Alongside this, the team communicated with stakeholders to establish a proper standard for the grip setup for helmets. They currently batch they are currently batch updating helmet animations to use the new setup, which will unblock a lot of long-standing issues. Level design social narrative started the year where they left off striving to close out arkham station's social area this walk and talk section presents particular challenges including the potential for players to leave their guide and explore the station the devs also closed out outstanding issues on the social section of chapter one and continued to focus on the idris uh, interstitials interstitials in a key scene in chapter eight Work was also done on conversations between the uh, Edris crew, who referenced the player and current in-game situation. Narrative. The Narrative team began the new year, furthering refining the narrative elements of Squadron 42. For example, the team identified a few key moments where additional loudspeaker announcements would help drive a sense of urgency. First, they added placeholder recordings, and once the team is satisfied with how the moments feel in-game, They'll be recorded with professional voice actors. The team also made a pass on various UI elements, providing new text as needed alongside re- revising text to provide further clarity or impact. Work also continued on the game's collectibles. The teams continued to coordinate with the artists to create memorable and eye-catching things to discover additionally the team spent time diving deeper into how players will learn information on the game's lore through galactopedia entries as they naturally progress through the story ui and then visual effects and then we'll be done the ui team in january the ui team continued to polish the vehicle ui including getting some of the holographic elements to appear on physical screens for the lower tech ships they also improved the display of quantum travel information and polished elements of the turret UI. They also added various animated screens to make the scenes in-game more interesting, including enemy tech, screens for civilian areas, and help show the story in a key section near the start of the game. Regarding FPS UI, a pass was started to bring the lens up to standard now that the visor is in a good state. Quote, We've been working on some updated concepts to give it a fresher look, whilst also including some of the improvements we created for the visor." The Visual Effects Team. Last month, the Visual Effects Team continued to support the art, design, and cinematics team with their visual effects requirements. This included updating the dynamic fire effects uh, to work in additional locations to accommodate new gameplay scenarios. They also created a new Rota system to make sure the number of visual effects related data errors was reduced to zero. Each week, an artist is picked to work directly with the embedded VFX QA team member to ensure the existing bug list is kept at zero week to week. And there you have it. The Squadron 42 monthly report. like always, you will see a little bit of redundancy between the Star Citizen monthly report and the Squadron 42 monthly report. Um, That is natural. It's supposed to happen. You would hope that um, what they're doing in both efforts kind of like translate to the other Uh, because it is all, at the end of the day, it is all the same game or at least the same um, IP. So um, I think the takeaway from from like for me is like the story the narrative because that is standalone that has nothing to do with, with star citizen um, so the squadron 42 story the narrative how they're making each ship feel alive i love reading those things as again that is an entirely different experience than what those of us in the pu will feel so love the update i hope you saw value in that it's time to get into The main reason of this podcast, distribution centers. I cannot wait to watch this with you. So for the longest time, since I started playing star citizen, my fantasy is like living up in space, existing up in space, but being part of a massive like cargo hauler organization. And I'm talking massive, like put Amazon in space, right? so I, I you know I loved the whole C when it came out. Um I have the whole Echo Um in my I guess in my hangar ready to come whenever it's whenever it's developed and finalized. But I love everything about the logistics, um, having to provide security for those cargo runs. Um having to have the reconnaissance and surveillance to know the route planning uh, for those cargo runs, base building as a hub for our operations, all of these game loops tie into distribution centers. Now, I can agree with the Astro Historian when he says they could have came up with a better name. <laughs> um, a distribution center, fulfillment center, warehouse, whatever you want to call it, at the end of the day, it is a quest hub. So think of Elder Scrolls Online, World of Warcraft. It is a place, it's a city, if you want to look at it in that lens, where everything can happen. Quest givers, mission types. But what you're going to hear on Inside Star Citizen is how the four types of players, so like the aggressive lawful the non-aggressive lawful the aggressive unlawful and the non-aggressive unlawful Right those those four player types how they're all going to be interacting with the same hub at the same time and what that means To the universe that is so exciting to me. I cannot wait So let's get this fired up. Let me go ahead and pull this up real quick. I have downloaded it for convenience Here we go yeah, we'll get into at CitizenCon
2: 2952, we introduced the concept of distribution centers, these enormous terrestrial microcosms of Star Citizens' entire FPS experience. And since that time, we've intermittently followed along with their progress as they make their way to the persistent universe in the upcoming Alpha 323. And with that milestone approaching in just the next few months, let's dive underground one more time and see where they're at now and discuss a little more about what you'll be doing once you get inside. What are distribution
3: centers? It's a super, super, super basic question, but I've got to unravel about two years' worth of development time in order to answer it.
4: So a distribution center is a colossal hub that an organization owns that they distribute goods for, and this could be commodities themselves or stuff that they're making.
1: They're very big locations on the ground. They're a hive of activity but you can also go there and cause some
4: chaos as well. To the player, depending on what faction it is, it's still going to be a means to getting different types of missions.
1: We don't want you to go to this location and be the only person there doing a thing. In some locations, you're going to find that you're just doing a delivery mission, you're hauling some cargo out there, you're dropping it off, and you're getting your fee for doing that. But while that's happening, another player could be infiltrating it, Uh, they could be assassinating a VIP in there, they provide a large
3: variety of gameplay. Anything to bombing runs,
1: first-person combat, theft, you name A whole quagmire of uh, different things going on at any one time.
0: I wonder. I wonder if that means, like, the unlawful griefers could go in and kill your quest givers. It's so like if you have to turn in an item to, you know, like an admin station, does, does the, like you being out of armistice, does it mean that you're, you're going to be combating that crap? I'm curious. That, that actually just hit me, but I also don't know if I care. Like that's an awesome dynamic. Right? Always go with a buddy, right, to protect yourself and maybe defend who you need to defend.
3: Interesting. Basically a microcosm for all the FPS-related gameplay uh, in the universe.
2: What's your favorite thing about the distribution centers?
3: They're nearly done.
1: So at CitizenCon, we showed you what is going on at these locations, but you want to know what's actually coming in 3.23, so let me tell you. We're going to have multiple DCs throughout the Stanton system. Each one of those is going to be owned by different brands. Some of them are going to be friendly towards you. Some of them, they're going to be hostile towards you. At each location, you're going to have access to both sides of the building, both wings. On those wings, we have two landing pads and a hangar and two cargo freight elevators. Plus, you've got the wing itself, so all the missions that you can do outside. On the inside, so you'll have access to the lobby and the rooms off that, so sleeping habs, a kitchenette, some VIP spaces, and some maintenance places in there as well, all with missions. Below that,
0: so sleeping habs. That makes me think that you can treat them as orbital stations, right? Like you can make that your region point is what is what that means to me. I don't know if that's true or not. Just, that's what that means to me.
4: You're into the main body of it, which has got the central part, which is the warehouse, which is where mainly all the goods go. Branching off of that leads into two side roads. From there, there can be a mixture of rooms. It's always the cargo shop which is a um, part delivery space, part canteen, for the staff to use for refreshment and taking a break. Storage rooms, which are the main hole of distributing big cargo boxes, which have to be used to be picked up via a tractor beam.
1: There are worker rest areas, there are security
4: areas, side rooms. And a side road, which is more like a little maintenance area, but it does have an underfloor, again, with the ventilation access, that's on the inside. Branching out from that as well, there are two wings. Uh, each one comes equipped with a cargo area, a um, shipping depot, and security door then the outside.
1: Hopefully enough content for you to get your teeth into in this kind of initial release. Can you bring the adults inside?
4: Uh To the outside wings, yes, but you can't drive them into the actual center, no. no.
2: Sounds really confident about that. This
3: part's so funny.
2: <laughs> Why can't you take vehicles inside?
3: Because we blocked them off. How'd you block them off? Uh, the, the
2: vehicle force field? All odds. You're telling me there's no way a player is going to be able to track your vehicle over those ballers and get a vehicle inside.
4: I would like to say no.
2: <laughs> Backers, you know better. The challenge is made. Get the vehicles in there.
4: so good. (laughs) So what will bring players to the distribution centers will depend on the type of player, as we want to give variety depending if you're an aggressive player or a non-aggressive player and or lawful or unlawful. It's for the four types of player that exist in the Persistent Universe. So there's aggressive, lawful, Unaggressive lawful. Aggressive unlawful and unaggressive unlawful.
2: Which one
4: are you? I, I quite like being aggressive. If you're gonna go in, you might as well go go in hard, right? I'm nice in real life, so I can be aggressive unlawful in the verse.
3: <laughs> For aggressive lawful players, you might get a mission where you have to go in and defend one of the distribution centers from a hostile attack by outlaw gangs.
4: You could receive a distress call from the owner of the distribution center being informed that a gang is trying to acquire goods from a certain section of it, say, the storage room.
3: The play will arrive. Um, they will make their way, uh, to the location which is under attack. They will go in, they will see a battle underway, uh, between defending forces and the attackers, and they will join sides with the defending forces to take out the attackers. Those attackers might come in waves, they might have big heavies with them, they might have bigger weaponry, um, but you will join together, possibly with friends, to take out this big, assaulting force. Lawful non-aggressive players might want to do something more like delivery or hauling. It's a distribution center. Um, So you'll be able to come in, land, load your ship with all the various cargo, depending on what kind of distribution center it is, and take it where it needs to go, whether that's another distribution center or somewhere else completely different.
4: The plan from doing an internal delivery would be using a Hover trolley to distribute one cargo or multiple cargo boxes from one section in the distribution centre to another. They really are big enough to do an entire mission without ever leaving. You could be doing a delivery from one room, let's say the storage room, up to the lobby.
3: For an aggressive illegal player, you might do an all-out assault on the distribution center. That'd be fine. You can fly in, um, the location security will kick in, so you'll be trespassing, you'll get shot at by turrets. If you manage to land, you will infiltrate the facility, all guards will be hostile to you, and you can go in, you can, uh, if it's an assassination mission, you can go in, take out a VIP. If it's a theft mission, you can run a heist, go in, rob the place, get out again.
4: Each. Uh, Distribution centre, especially the bigger company ones, would have armed guards at least on site. They'd also have um, turrets mobilised around the outside, so you would have to... You, coming in by air is very dangerous because you would be distinctly seen as trespassing, so each security zone around distribution centre protects it, even from the air, not just the ground. So for non-aggressive, unlawful uh, theft missions would be a prime example of you sneaking into distribution centre to avoid being detected by security to acquire goods unlawfully.
3: You can basically do a stealth version of the hostile mission. So instead of it being an all-out assault and going in guns blazing, (laughs) maybe you find a back route and maybe you sneak in past guards, make your way to the location without being detected. If you get the item that you need to steal, uh, you can turn around, make your way out and hope they don't find you. That's what I would do. For places that That's don't awesome. have a mission, the response that you get when you approach a distribution center is going to depend on which distribution center it is. Some are going to welcome visitors. They'll be quite happy to see you. Others definitely don't want any visitors at all.
4: So depending on the type of facility, some public ones, and you'll be able to come in and just use it as a social space. Other higher security level ones you would not have or be granted access without being granted a mission so besides missions if a player decides to go like full chaotic evil inside a distribution center they can go in full guns blazing but they're going to be met with a lot of resistance so you're going to need to see some pretty like a heavily armored ship to deal with the anti-air guns and a lot of firepower when you get inside because there's a load of guards to deal with
3: So a big driving force behind the distribution centers is to really bring players together in all different kinds of ways. So maybe you've got somebody there who's running a delivery mission, and at the same time, you've got a group of people coming in to raid the place and steal a bunch of stuff. They all get caught up together in a whole big mess, and the hope is that it's a fun, exciting, and probably quite
1: chaotic experience. We want it so that as you're playing it through, yeah, other things are happening around you, things that you sort of want to get involved in yourself.
4: I hope the players perceive it as mainly for the variety to give the players yeah. the choice to like, just to lean into, do they want to be aggressive or do they want to be passive that we know different players like playing different ways. So we're hoping this variety in the distribution center gives the players the access whether they want to play that aggressive or passive fantasy inside the us.
3: Of course, this is the first drop of the distribution centers, and development will be ongoing. We're shooting for a healthy variety of distribution centers uh, for
1: 3.23, and more
3: to come as we approach 4.0.
1: So at some point after 3.23 and into the future, I don't know when, we are going to be looking at the endgame stuff that you want to play, and that's going to be in the form of raids.
2: RAID RAINS!
1: That's going to be fun. Oh, we're definitely <laughs> <that in.
2: laughs> So what did we learn this week? Well, we learned that distribution centers will be home to missions and gameplay of every sort, that Alpha 323 will mark their arrival, that the much-anticipated RAID gameplay first discussed at CitizenCon will follow at some point thereafter, and that if you're the ISC gameplay capture team working in builds weeks and sometimes even months before Evocati, you may find that the planets kind. of Cairo and Stanton have, have loaded into the same physical space <laughs> and turned themselves inside out when all you're trying to do is make your weekly show. Don't worry, they're having the time of their lives. <laughs> for Inside Star Citizen, I'm Jared Huckabee. Thanks for letting us share the process of game development with you, and we'll see you all here next week. Like that.
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, Yes. So I hope you enjoyed that inside star citizen. If it was your first time watching it, uh, or maybe it's second or third time you've seen it. Uh, Man, there's so much, there's so much to get excited about with distribution centers. And, And I think I'm, I don't know, I'm going back and forth. I'm going back and forth on whether or not like griefers getting in there and destroying the, you know, destroying the distribution center for everyone. Like, I don't know. Is that bad or good? How, how how should we view that so i'm pretty damn sure that's going to be my q a for the spotify <laughs> uh yeah that's gonna be the q a for spotify Well, thank you all so much for joining us on episode 46. Again, I'm Solus. You can follow my personal socials at Solus Gaming. Uh, Feel free to be part of that conversation. More shenanigans and and stuff that I get involved with in and outside of uh, content creation. So feel free to do that. But all things beyond the verse. Here we go. If you want to become part of the conversation, you can email us at contact at beyondtheversehq.com. Respond to that Spotify Q&A or polls. Again, join our in-game organization at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. And join our Discord where you can also propose questions and be part of the discussion in the Seat at the Table channel. You can follow our socials. It's all social media platforms, forward slash, at BTV underscore cast. Um, Same thing with YouTube. We do our our video replays over at YouTube, and that's forward slash, at BTV underscore cast. And if you feel like supporting the show, 100% of our proceeds go back into the development, post-production, pre-production, post-production, for the show, for your... Uh, auditory pleasure, visual pleasure. Um, And again, we are looking to upgrade our GoXLR to the Rodecaster Pro, and these proceeds help us get that direction. So thank you so much. I hope this finds each one of you well. It's safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse. Take care, everybody.